Thank you for inviting me and Jan and Eric and Elizabeth to be with you this weekend. This place is full of memories and we've been remembering a lot, overwhelmed with memories. And where were all of you when I was here? <laughs> a lot of you have memories too and I'm so grateful to see this place flourishing as it is joyful. I dropped a comment to some friends uh, who were being host and hostess to us the other day. And every Sunday morning for 29 years, Jan prepared a breakfast for me, scrambled eggs and figs. The figs were, Jan said, to make sure there was a biblical content to my sermons. So there should be some biblical content this morning in those figures that were brought to us for breakfast. <laughs> Just a little bit of background. I learned how to be a pastor in this place. I had a lot of learning to do. But early on, I found St. John of Patmos to be a mentor for me. And I don't know why I chose him, um, some circumstances. But as I grew here, I don't think I ever told any of you this at the time, but he became kind of a somebody over my shoulder. My text today is from St. John's Gospel. When I was thinking about um, preparing a sermon for this day, I, I thought, St. John, it's got to be a St. John. So it is. Let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O Lord, to accept your word. Silence in all voices but your own. But hearing may we also obey thy will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And we know that Jesus prayed. There are 17 references in the Gospels that refer to Jesus praying. And it interests me that only six of the prayers are in the, given in the words he actually prayed. And my text for today is one of those six. It's the shortest one. It comprises only four words. Father, glorify your name. This prayer he prayed is right at the center of the Jesus story as John tells it. The first 11 chapters of John's gospel immerse us in the action of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the word made flesh, Jesus alive, made flesh, seriously made flesh. All of life, human life, is sacramental, a container for and a revelation of the holy. The word made flesh. Jesus, most emphatically human, like you, like me. The concluding 10 chapters of St. John's Gospel take us in detail I detail into the story of Jesus' death. The last week of Jesus' life is the story of his death. It opens with Jesus at dinner with his friends, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, during which Mary anoints Jesus' feet with perfume as he then interprets it for the burial of my death. The next day of Palm Sunday, the entrance into Jerusalem places Jesus in a place of prominence in the Passover festival, the 
crowd of hosannas, singing people, thought they were participating in the coronation of their king. Blessed be he who comes, the king of Israel. Well, king is pretty heady stuff. The disciples have been listening to Jesus talk, king talk, Messiah talk, ever since they started following Jesus. And the momentum is gathering. It looks like it's going to happen. And then Jesus throws cold water on all this overheated king talk by talking about his death. He is their king, yes. He is their Messiah, yes. But not in the way they're thinking. In a very short time, they're going to hear him, a dying man, deliver his inaugural address as king from a cross. You can see that Jesus has his work cut out for him. He gets his disciples off by themselves and has a long, leisurely conversation with them. He starts out by washing their feet with water this time instead of Mary's perfume. He follows it up by going over again and again and again the ways in which he's going to be king and Messiah and the ways in which they are going to experience him as king and Messiah. Unhurried, patient, he completely revises their expectations. And then he gathers it all up in a closing prayer, John 17, and the next day he's killed. The prayers of Jesus can never be isolated from the life of Jesus. Prayer is not a subject on its own. Prayer is not a specialist activity. The symphony orchestra, some specialize in the clarinet, others in the oboe, others in the violin, some in the trombone. But in the Christian life, it doesn't work that way. We don't have some who visit the sick, some who sing the hymns, some who read the Bible, some who give money, and some who pray. In the Christian life, we do not choose one aspect, get some instruction and training, and then specialize in what we feel like we're good at or can be good at. Prayer is not something we pull out of a web of revelation and incarnation and sign up to be prayer warriors. It's more like a, the analogy of breathing. If we're alive, we have to do it. Although there are illnesses connected with breathing, there are no excellences. We don't single out an individual and say, she's a great breather. Prayer is woven into the fabric of life. Prayer is woven into the fabric of Jesus' life. The notices of prayer are part and parcel of everything that Jesus does. None of his praying and none of his prayers can be taken out of context and studied on its own and practiced as a thing in itself. The link between the two parts of John's storytelling, Jesus' life and Jesus' death, is Jesus' four-word prayer, Father, glorify your name. Glory, in both its verbal and noun forms, is one of these large, horizon-filling words that changes our lives once we understand it. The dictionary is of minimal help in getting a sense of the compacted energy radiating from its syllables. We need the entire story of Jesus given to us by our four master gospel storytellers and then we need that story backed up and filled in with the entire story of creation and covenant 
that epistles and apocalypse, we can't comprehend glory in bits and pieces. We need the story, the whole story, from beginning and end. I acquired a feel for the many dimensions contained in glory from my pastor when I was about 10 years old. He conveyed it in his voice, voice in capital letters. He was Welsh. His voice from the pulpit reverberated in a full Welsh timber and tonality throughout the sanctuary. When Pastor Jones spoke the word, he began in a low rumbling like the 16-foot pipe in an organ. It gathered volume and resonance until it filled the sanctuary, the sound filling our, not only our ears but our hearts. Most people articulate glory in two syllables, glory. Pastor Jones, it was multi-syllable. Glory! <laughs> Roaring the word through his congregation. And he made it truly Johannine. It was years before I learned the dictionary meaning of the word. More years still before I learned the foundational place it holds in the biblical languages. But I knew its meaning. It means that something magnificent is going on, is coming together, Something that has to do with God and us in that sanctuary, even as we listen to Pastor Jones say the word. A word that gathers to a greatness all the bits and pieces of our lives in the wholeness and completion of Jesus' life. A resurrection word. But however wonderful my learning of glory, it was quite without rootage in my life. And as I grew up, it was rootage I was after. Rootage as I go to worship and work. Rootage as I vote in elections and buy tires for my car. Rootage as I get cancer and have surgery. Rootage as I accumulate birthdays and anniversaries. Rootage as I write letters and read books. The rootage I'm looking for is described in lines just preceding the prayer, Father, glorify thy name. And here are the lines. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. A grain of wheat falls into the ground, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. I like the way poet Maxine Kuhlman put it. I put down roots and I put up leaves. That's what I'm after. Jesus anticipates his imminent death. As I take in his words, I realize that the roots of glory are in death and burial. This is going to take some relearning. It looks as if glory involves more than what I heard in the thunder that came from Pastor Jones's pulpit. It looks as if I'm going to have to let go a lot of what I expected and enter into a mystery. Glory is what I'm after. As it turns out, I'm a slow learner. Glory is not just more of what I already have or the perfection of what I already see. Do I suppose that the Christian life is my biological, intellectual, moral life raised a few degrees above the common stock? Do I think that prayer is a kind of mechanism like a carjack that I can use to labor myself to a higher plane where I have a better access to God? The language of Jesus tells me something quite different. I become less. Instead of grasping what I value more tightly, I let go. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit is one way Jesus said it. Those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it is yet another way. It helps me to be patient in my slow learning to observe that it wasn't exactly a piece of cake for Jesus either. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? It wasn't easy for Jesus to redefine glory so that it included loss, rejection, and death. And it gives me some breathing space in my prayers to know that it at least occurred to Jesus not to pray for this kind of glory, but to pray for rescue from it. He considered praying, Father, save me from this hour. But having got it out of the table, he doesn't pray it. He no sooner considered it than he rejected the possibility. To pray for rescue would be to reject his basic identity, his life as a gift, a life sacrificed in love so that all could be saved. It would be a prayer that violates the very nature of prayer. The prayer that Jesus did not pray is as important as the prayer he did pray, the Jesus who in every respect was tempted like we are. Did not pray, Father, save me from this hour, makes it possible for me also not to pray it. Because Jesus did it, I can do it. You can do it. Reject the me first prayer. Reject the self-serving prayer. Refuse to use prayer as a way to avoid God. First the no, and only then the yes. Save me from this hour? No. Father, glorify your name? Yes. It takes a lifetime to learn to pray this with a pure heart, but as we pray and learn to pray, it becomes increasingly clear that we must let Jesus daily redefine the word glory or we'll miss it entirely. The Greeks missed it. John tells us that there were some Greeks in Jerusalem that day that Jesus prayed this prayer. They wanted to see Jesus. They were tourists in the holy city and there to see him heard about Jesus, heard about the glory. They wanted to see it for themselves. Cameras at the ready, guidebooks in hand. They approached Andrew and Peter and tried to hire him them as tour guides. When Andrew and Peter went to Jesus and told him this, he in effect dismisses them. Instead of posing for a photograph of the Greeks, he talks about them. The glory that Jesus had been revealing
striking thing is that Jesus and the Father are 